Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings while other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. And I welcome you back into the cage today. Woo! I am your guest host, Carlos Cooper, and with me, when I, whenever I'm here, they are always here, but I am not always here when they are here, is Joe Hilliard and Dave Gurney. And well, welcome back, Carlos. Thank you. you nothing, know, nothing would have kept you out of the cage. Nothing think. would have kept me out of the cage. There is no cage without Carlos. That's a good point. You know, I, do, I don't think we could uh, have one of these cage match episodes and not have Carlos on. And why are we in the cage? Because it's a landmark, monumental, big round number episode. Can you believe that we've been doing this for 249 times prior to today? Yeah. I, I bear, yeah, it's barely believable to me, and I've been here for almost all of them. We have, I think I maybe, yeah, well, if we count the Uncle Drew episode, I missed one. <laughs> the, though I, I did try to record it. We all did. Yeah. Uh, you, you just did it twice, and the only one that exists for posterity's sake is... I think the Uncle Drew half exists, but the Space Oh, Jam that's half. right. It's just, it you had a, to re-record that the part, so I'm on the... Okay, yeah, all right. Well, then I guess I've been on all of them, yeah. I missed uh, women talking. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. and there were maybe a couple Spring. early on that. But yeah, anyway, with Ethan it, was still around. It's amazing to be here after 249 episodes to be entering the cage for our 250th. Thank you for listening and thank you for coming along with us. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you come along with us for two reasons. One is, of course, we talk movies. But the other is, we talk beer, Delicious. folks, and we drink beer while we're talking movies. And this week we are. Very blessed uh, by one of our most loyal patrons of the show, Daniel Benavidez, who always comes through for us with such awesome beers that he just kind of slyly hands off. Hey, guys, why don't you do this on the show? Hey, here's a couple I donate. Well, you know, this one he can't just toss off as something that he just had sticking in the back of his cellar or something that he, you know, this is one that he had to, uh, wheel and deal to get because this is a mm -hmm. beer that people in the beer loving world the craft beer community go after right they, they 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 trade for this thing and it's one that is best had fresh so it's one that they don't want to hang on to that they're not cellaring that they're not trying to just uh hoard for themselves this is a beer made by russian river brewing who we have had on the podcast before back on episode 135 um, we had a couple of their sours, but this is a little different. This is their Pliny the Younger. It is their 2023 vintage of that. It was bottled back in March, so a little bit older probably than we wanted ideally, but I think still fresh enough that we're going to get some of that experience here when we pop this open and get it in our glasses. Guys, this is just their triple IPA, not their double IPA. It is 10.25%. Goddamn. Um, a, a cousin or, or you know, some sort of relation to Pliny the Elder, but in this case, the Younger. So, mm. and, and that's pretty special because I have had Pliny the Elder before yeah. at a bottle share or two. Yeah. Um, and that one is produced in larger quantities, I believe. And even oh, yeah. though it isn't super easy to come by, it's something that... Not it, easy. But you can get it if you're in that you area. Can, you can get it in that This area. one has Amarillo, Citra, Chinook, Elixir, Mosaic... Nect Nectaron, Simcoe, and Warrior. That's eight different hot varieties. So why are we in the cage? What does that mean in the cage? In case you weren't here for episode 200 or 150 or 100, that's when we devote our time together over these amazing beers to Nicolas Cage. A man who has just done it all. He's won Oscars. 
and he's made clunkers. And we're going to probably talk about both of those tonight. Three films. We each chose one. I chose last, but we're going to do it first in reverse chronological order. We have not really spent any time in our past Nicolas Cage talks on that part of his career that was kicked off in 2009 when it was reported by several media outlets that he was having some tax trouble and some having difficulty paying off some loans. Mm -hmm. So earlier this year or late last year, he actually said out loud in interviews, yeah, I was making shit movies for money, for cash grabs, and I have paid off all of those debts and everything is great. And this is when, like, there was a, that's the joke started with Nicolas Cage. There's a new Nicolas Cage movie out every three months or six yeah. months or direct-to-video or just released in Asia. And so I went to several websites to find a good representation of that period of time. And one that came up again and again that I had never seen was Drive Angry, a.k.a. Drive Angry 3D <laughs> that came out in 2011. So in, in the poster, it actually even says Drive Angry made in 3D. Shot in 3D. Yeah, yeah, shot, or, in 3D. Yeah, yeah. shot in 3D. You're so, right. So yeah. I found a synopsis, right? I'm just going to read this from Because it end. wasn't just made 3D post. They, when they no, shot it, they, they were like, they this used rigs for 3D. 3D. Yeah. Yeah. Thrown into hell for his crimes, brutal felon John Milton, a.k.a. Nicolas Cage, escapes from the fiery pit after cultists murder his daughter and take her baby. Intent on rescuing the child, Milton joins forces with a waitress who gives him her ex-lover's fire-red muscle car. In it, the two pursue the cult leader who plans to sacrifice the infant and unleash hell on earth. However, the hunters become the hunted when Satan sends his merciless henchman, played by William Figner, to drag Milton back to hell. That's when he, the car is black. Yeah, he gets the red car later, later. but the ex-boyfriend's car that it says is black. Yeah, you can't, yeah. you, can't, you cannot you can't. trust the internet. You can't. So, and, and right there, I mean, we know that this is going to be the heights of intellectual uh, refinement <laughs> yeah. when you're making reference to, of course, the... Uh, you know, sort of renowned author John Milton, uh, <laughs> right. the writer of uh, Paradise Lost, of course, which yeah. is an epic poem. As this movie a, is. In blank verse uh, that, you know, sort of uh, it, it describes the biblical story of the fall of man, temptation of Adam and Eve by the fallen angel Satan and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. So you, you know that this is going to be some heady, this isn't Cage toss-off. This is Cage going deep into philosophical territory. Yeah, and it's it's a horrible movie. Um, <laughs> however, I was never not entertained. Yeah. Do you hear that hum and buzz? I do. I don't think it's going to be in the recording. I feel like that's happened before. It has, yeah. Okay. But I don't know. Carry on. All right. Uh, it was a horrible movie. However, I was not entertained. However, I was never not entertained. That's interesting. How can it be horrible if you were entertained okay. the whole time, Joe? It was very inexpensively made. There's a mm. lot of CGI that is just bad by 2011 standards. Um, the dialogue can sometimes just be horrible, and the but but you could tell they were putting some money into car like cars crashing, car chases. But some of those car flips and stuff are CGI done, and it looks like a well, little, a it lot looks of a little 3D, bit Sharknado. Sharknado. A lot of the 3D is pretty badly CGI. Like the, from the very jump, when the guy's hand gets cut off with the crowbar in it. Yeah. It's 
terrible well, CGI. Is, I I mean, it, I think one of the worst sins of this film, right? If we're going to talk about the fall of this film, you know, the, is I already know this disagree with you. Leaning into the 3D technology, nothing that, has made me sadder in the last week than not being able to see this movie in 3D. Well, okay, <laughs> that, then that that may be because I, I bet it was incredible in 3D. I, it it feels like one of those stunt gimmicky, yeah. you know, yeah. 3D movies. And there should be no other 3D movie. Anything, any other movie that does 3D in that way, superfluous. Don't need it. Nonsense. Like well, if you're gonna do 3D, fucking do it go friday the yeah. 13th part three with harpoons jumping out at the screen eyeballs popping out of the like, screen like it's gotta be that big gaudy 3d otherwise it's just like what are you doing just make a normal movie well you know? well i agree with you why don't you just call it bows and arrows the movie and just have it like arrows shooting out at the audience movie. right instead of it's drive like, angry what is 3d about cars i don't you explosions know, like, yeah <laughs> and then coming at you an, yeah. ex, an extra extraneous cgi debris coming at me okay yeah, yeah, yeah right, that's right. sick I, I didn't that, to me that is the fatal sin of this film if there is a fatal the sin. fatal sin I is that it relies i don't think on this is a terrible film though i i will say i don't think like wait or did you say terrible what did you I might say, have said joe? horrible you horrible, said horrible yeah. right um i agree with what joe was saying i think this film is at its core very entertaining in a very trashy campy movie yeah. kind of way yeah. that I feel like they were aware of in the making of it. I, I, I mean, I think Cage at least in his performance is aware of. But I do. But it did repeatedly throughout the film. I felt like I kind of just wish they hadn't even had to have this 3D gimmickry. Well, it's the guy as who, a hook here. It's the guy who made My Bloody Valentine. He's not well, like I know, an Oscar was, caliber. Well, and it was director. and it was definitely a platform like that and, had and done so well as the 3D version. It had. It's not a good movie. The original uh, uh, Streets Ahead. Yeah, yeah. But I. I think. I, I think you're right and you're wrong in your 3D assessment. You're right insofar as that because it relies so much on it, when you don't get to see it in 3D, then it's like, okay. But I venture to say that if the three of us had sat down in a movie theater and with the 3D glasses on, we would have been mesmerized, stupefied, just like blown away Maybe. by the nonsense of it. And yeah, it would have been so much fun. And I don't know if this is the best, you know, we plucked it out of a hat almost, you know, for this period of, the, of his career. Yeah. Because there is, like I said, so much entertainment value. It's just done in a kind of like that uh, trashy, sleazy way. That well, it's a grindhouse it, movie. That is is difficult to believe. This is well, it is a Nicolas I Cage mean, Academy Award winner. The suspension of disbelief that you have to have oh, to have seen. Amber Heard's name was not in my synopsis. It was clearly written before she became probably more of a name. And she does she does yeah, fine in the film for her. Eh, she's um, all right. She does take great liberties with the accent like there are times where she's just like fuck it i don't care i'm yeah. not doing it because she's she's giving well, elizabeth gets, olsen scarlet witch performance he where it's picks like her up in colorado is that where they're and supposed she has a to deep be? southern accent. and she has a southern accent they're going to end up in louisiana and, and the film was actually it. shot in louisiana for, for the most part yeah and i and i he imagine that louisiana. was i was going to say that i imagine that was a cage like requirement like yeah. if we're going to shoot this thing let's do it in louisiana yeah, yeah. there's a lot and the other effect that was really just uh, uh, was clearly they're sitting in a car with green screens all around them, uh, you know, yeah. and they put in the action of the moving car later, just driving down the street, but it was not very well done. That said, my, I guess we could maybe go around the horn and say what our favorite scene was. My favorite scene. <laughs> well, I think I think we're getting ahead of ourselves because oh, we didn't yeah. acknowledge the beginning of this movie. Please. The first, own, are like, you talking about the first, like, 30 seconds? seconds the, the, the CGI are, hell? Yes, it's yeah. incredible. But... but <laughs> Well, what it does is it 
I think that scene, I think if you get past that scene and find yourself disappointed by this movie, I don't know what you're doing because that scene perfectly encapsulates everything that this movie's about to be. The CGI is terrible. It's like the physics of that car moving around make no sense. And <laughs> right. it's like overly dramatic yet hard as fuck monologue is yeah. going on. Cause like the, yeah. the monologue's pretty cheesy for the most part. Like, oh, you yeah. know, referencing Cain and Abel and something about a badass, badass motherfucker, motherfuckers. Or whatever. Yeah. But then it ends with, because you see badass motherfuckers are never fast enough in the end. They will all be accounted for. Yeah. And it's read by a character named the accountant. And that's hard as fuck. And <laughs> it's so sick. Now, I, will, I, I love the character of the accountant. I w- love William Fitchner is a, is a nice uh, element in this film. Yeah. I do feel like the character and his relationship to uh, um, Milton. No, Milton. Well, yeah, Satan, it's kind of implied he's like an assistant to Satan. Or he's, yeah. he's the accountant. He's the one who, if somebody gets out of hell, he pulls them back. Or, I mean, make sure if you're supposed to be there you stay there or whatever i get that shouldn't be so um, easy to get out but go on but but, but i like well, no it should not be so easy <laughs> but then again milton is hole. clearly right a i mean because he's like yeah. i want to know how you got the god killer right one yeah, of the things yeah, is he yeah. escapes with this weapon that can actually take down some immortal beings God's like the accountant yeah. like yeah um and you know his answer is i just walked in and took it you know like, and which is totally it 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 fits milton as this kind of Un, unexplainable, inexplicably badass character, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like this is just who's going to get out of a scrape? Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's no way that he's not going to be able to make his way. Like you can shoot him, he's not going to stay down. You can have him crash his car, he's not going to stay. I mean, he can shoot him in the face. Yes, as we <laughs> see, and he just grows the eye back. It's just good to go. Yeah. Um. So, so I do think that, but I would have liked there to have been a little bit there. You get a little bit of rapport between them, but it's just weird to me that he's chasing him and yet he's kind of helping him. And I, I kind of wanted that to solidify. They do a have that moment more. where the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Kind yeah. Of, kind of vibe. And, and, and I get it. And I, and I kind of like, I mean, I think there's some cleverness here actually, before we go on to like, maybe just saying some of the, even our favorite things or the worst things. I do like the concept of you have this Satanist cult leader right um the that are wrong about everything it turns out yeah well, the character's wrong, name is jonah king well right enough that he's able to like potentially cause this kind of rift in the metaphysical landscape that could potentially bring hell to earth but in a way that satan doesn't want to have happen yeah nor does and, he really care about what they're doing right he doesn't want he doesn't like that they're doing what they do yeah. he doesn't want them to do this thing and so th- that's kind of funny to me yeah. because i just like that commentary of like whatever sky lord or or hell pit lord you're you're worshiping you're just going on the best you can as a human to kind of figure out what yeah. that is, which usually means if you're ascending to the leadership roles, you're just full of bullshit and yeah. you say whatever gets your followers going and it doesn't matter what the Sky Lord thinks. It's just you're getting them to do the things you want them to. Yeah. Time, time, and to, then, plast the, time to so the plate. Some smart commentary, right? Maybe some yeah, more no, Milton no, in no, here no. than we realize. <laughs> Yeah, the the soundtrack's horrible. The score is horrible. Uh, the grind there house, the grind house stingers. You know when he gets out of the car. Yeah, that's pretty sick. <laughs> uh, it totally works for what they're trying to the put pe- on the screen. The peaches song is pretty uh, that was good. I, I didn't so like the, that. I like the peaches song. I, uh, the use of it. The peaches song I can take or leave, but the okay. use of it, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, we get it. Like, it. It defines that character. I thought that was yeah. One of the... It defines that character and like she's hot. <laughs> like that's like <laughs> she's a badass. Basically, all they have to say about her is like oh, she's hot. 
Yeah, well, but she's got a heart of gold. Uh, there, there's going to be this, you know, w- know female that. character with a heart of gold that uh, we're going to see, you know, sort of carry throughout oh, these yeah, films, aren't true, we? That's yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, that yeah, the, the score for this was not hard of gold, not dynamite. Yeah. yeah, my favorite scene. Okay, I think I know what it is. Amber Heard uh, has is now under the wing of Nicolas Cage, who has saved her from her abusive ex fiance. Mm-hmm. They go to a bar, and she sees a cute guy over there. And the next thing you know, they're in. Uh, she says, "I'm, I'm gonna go." Oh, you're gonna pick my favorite scene. Oh, I, it has to be. It Everyone's has to be everybody's favorite, favorite scene. <laughs> so the next thing you know, he, the cute boy, is they're in a hotel, like a like an hourly hotel, maybe I don't know. Uh, and he's painting her toenails. And next door, like sharing the headboard wall, is someone clearly having some loud sex. And she <laughs> bangs on the wall and says, "Shut the fuck up in there." You go through the wall, and it's Nicolas Cage, fully clothed, fully but we're supposed clothed. to assume that... And with sunglasses on, right? right. And, yeah. and a bottle of, of Jack movie prop or, Jack Daniels yeah. in one hand and a lit cigar in the other, <laughs> while a completely nude woman is sitting on his lap doing all of the work. Yeah. Sure. Then the gunmen come in, and without dropping the bottle of Jack or the cigar, or the having woman. the woman leave his lap, <laughs> right? Or uh, uh, what would you call it? Disjoining from his yeah, partner, right? He, you know, they start killing and shooting, and and, and he's just rolling about the place with <laughs> getting whatever angle he needs, with her still beneath or on top right. of him, depending on where. Yeah, and between killing the guy that's already just come through the door and the guy who's about to come through the door, slow motion is shot of him. Needing to take a big swig of that Jack Daniels. Yeah, it, it was. It was. That's when I was like, "Hey, this is. Let's just stop thinking and just have a good time." Well, that that okay. is a clear signal. Why? Drive angry. Yeah. Why did you go into this movie thinking? Because I wa- <laughs> because I watched it last. Well, there you go. I yeah. think uh, with I, the other two films that we're talking about this episode, yeah. I understand how, how you came into that. I but I knew it. I was getting into that territory of him making subpar films. Well, but for I do, cash. is this truly him doing the cash in movies already? It, it, is. it is. Okay, yeah. all right. Because I, I, I feel like there. This wasn't direct to video. This was. No, it came attempt, out of theater. This yeah. was an attempt to make big money. Yeah. But my bloody Valentine in 3D had been a huge box office success. I think it was made for half the money of this one and made like three times what it this did yeah. in the box office. So the the target was hey let's use this 3d technology let's do a crazy action char- car chase film and we'll be you know maybe we'll do the same thing we did with this horror blockbuster we just had from you know the, in 3d so i think you know the the concept there was this could be a big success i mean did either of you get hints that like it felt that this film could have easily had sequels, right? Like this idea that I think they hoped that it would. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like they were setting Milton up to be this character who would come back from the dead whenever something was wrong on earth with his progeny, right? Like right. his granddaughter is is And know, I thought they could have uh, I don't know found a way to spin Amber Heard off too if they wanted to. There you really go, right? To. Like it, it very much felt like and then the relationship with the accountant that gets just hinted at and it's like I, I feel like they were setting this up hoping this could be a franchise. Drive Angry-verse. Yeah, something like, well, next one could be like, Drive Happy or, you know, <laughs> Drive Sad. Or, drive Angrier. <laughs> yeah, Drive Angrier. There you go. Drive really fucking frustratedly. No. No, I was so glad I saw this and I would recommend it. I, it's on HBO Max. And so, go or eight, Ma, I'm sorry. Max it's on Max. That's right. It's on Max and you should, uh, it's worth an hour and 45 I think minutes. It's, I think it's a goof 
of a film. Oh, yeah. That if you're in the mood for that kind of like over the top, ridiculous action, lots of kills, some graphic kills, right? And we're yeah. using the 3D, the yeah. baseball bat going into the guys, uh-huh. the broken the baseball bat the in his eye, the yeah. machete. You know, like you're going to get these real graphic kill scenes at times that kind of just let you appreciate the protrudence of whatever weapon was, you know, put in there. Toward the camera. (laughs) So, I mean, there's some goofiness in there that that may be too much for a lot of viewers, but if you're in the mood for that, I think it's a pretty funny, silly kind of uh, exercise. I do think that, um, you know, Cage, I think, does well sure i don't think this is his greatest campy silly role i mean like if, if if i really want over the top cage and i want it at you know at the level i'm gonna go to like vampire's kiss or uh, sure, or bad lieutenant bef- before i go to this but if i just want a goof and something that like might be somewhat of a crowd pleaser if i'm with the right crowd i'd probably go towards this this wouldn't be a terrible I, i'm so happy we picked this one do you know how I know for a fact this was his cash in era? Tell me. Because it was preceded by The Sorcerer's Apprentice in 2010, oh, okay. a notorious piece of crap, and Season of the Witch in 2011. Then we get Drive Angry in 2011. Also in 2011, we get Seeking Justice, yeah. Trespass, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Okay, that, yeah, that's where so, we're definitely yeah. getting into the church. No, you're right, you're right. I just, and, and I, I, I think 2008 or nine is when Bangkok Dangerous came out, and I think that's kind of that marks kind of the beginning of that phase. Worse, I think, yeah, yeah, and that's when we. Have, it just got so much worse, I think, and we have not. It gets even, pretty bad. I feel like you know because I Joe the Sorcerer's it, Apprentice is definitely a low point. It, a certain kind of low point, but that did get a major release, right? Well, yeah, it's a. I, I don't think I don't think the distribution for me marks what is and is not a low point in his career because he's done so many small, incredible movies that barely got released, like Pig. Well, it's uh, different. Joe to be, being one it's of It's different them. to be an indie film that you know tries the festival circuit and like get some critical acclaim and stuff than it is to just like hey these producers are willing to pay me x amount of money to go do this action film but that's what but that's what sorcerer's apprentice is just from a bigger studio i i hear what you're saying but but it got worse i think in terms of scale he started in terms of scale i think he started accepting even smaller paychecks yeah okay i see what you're saying for for direct stuff that they knew would be pretty much i thought you meant more in terms of like the quality of the content because no, I don't know, if, it, I don't know if it gets much worse than. Well, and that's where I'm kind of curious because Joe's intent in picking this, to some extent, was like, let's get into some of that cage. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. He was just the, you know. Oh, I mean, I mean, I'm I saw do the same thing in episode 300. Well, that, I'm looking I forward saw, to it. I feel like we have deeper to plunge because it, this isn't as bad as it gets. I don't. Okay. Think. I saw. I don't think. I saw Knowing in theaters. That was 2009, and that is a borderline unwatchable motion picture Ooh. it is what's the general plot I, I think i saw it i just i don't re- i don't remember <laughs> you're, you're not knowing what that is at all it was so bad <laughs> it was so bad that like i went into it excited completely flushed it from my memory so it's some extraterrestrial thing okay. i think some like future apocalypse okay. i don't know whatever Who cares? Okay, so this may not be the cage's best yeah he's good and, and we're it, arguably though. getting into some of cage's best here as we continue is this one of the best triple IPAs you've ever put your lips around that uh, is difficult to find, is muled across the country just for our enjoyment this evening? It's pretty good. It definitely um, doesn't read triple IPA. Well, that's what I was going to say. What's remarkable yeah. about this is usually to get, usually once you get to double IPA, I'm feeling, ooh, this is getting to that malt bomb stage where I just don't even, like, yeah, sure, you put tons of hops in, so I'm getting that too. But... Usually it's so hefty and like weighted down by that malty sweetness 
that I don't like it. This one stays remarkably light. I mean, even in color, it's a very it's a light, light beer, yeah. colored beer. Mm-hmm. Not it's, a light beer, but a light No, I mean, you can, I can feel that it is the 10.25%. I mean, I'm definitely getting that. And the hops are there. But in the AAA IPA realm, this is about as good as it gets in terms of being drinkable and like not totally taxing on my palate. Yeah, I would agree with that. I it's it's funny because you see a lot of like jokes on the internet and stuff about like craft beer drinkers or whatever, and sure. like, oh yeah, do you have one that tastes it. just like grass? Uh, <laughs> or, or like you know, people talking about how. Uh, when you watch somebody at a bar order an IPA, you just watch them struggle through it or whatever. Yeah. And yes, that is the case more often than not. But it's always in search of this. Like the yeah, reason well that we drink and like try these types of beers is because one of them is going to be like this. Yeah. And this is where you get to that like platonic form of like a style where it's like this <clears throat> is what – I think that's they're a pint, going for. I think that's a pint bottle, so that's all we got was a three-way split of that pint. I wish we had a little bit more. Nicholas Cage. Well, D- Daniel, take note. Yeah, come on, Daniel. <laughs> come on. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> Two bottles, bro. No, but, but in all seriousness, what a kind gift to the show. Total, and, and to have it on a cage match episode, perfection. Twelve years ago, Nicholas Cage works with what, what many people say, I don't know if you all agree, the greatest living film director of, of that's living. I do not agree. We'll talk about that film and open up another beer when we get back. And we're back! We're back. Woo! All right. Uh, So we're back. That means that the beer is back and we're going into what we can only assume is part of Other Half's Broccoli series of IPAs. Um, it's called Otherly Love, and it's from their, I think, new-ish facility in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, Other Half being originally based out of New York. But yeah, Otherly, Hu- Otherly Love, Double Dry Hopped, uh, Imperial, India, Pale, Ale, Double IPA. And it is... Uh, Brewed with a hand-selected blend of hops, notably Galax and Nectaron, uh, giving notes of passion fruit, sweet pineapple, and peach. Ooh. And I'll tell you what, I know I could eat, but I'm pretty sure I could drink a peach for hours <laughs> as well. Uh, as our uh, as our esteemed uh, patron saint of the podcast uh, had, had put into our minds way back in uh, Face Off. So n- nice, nice callback, Carlos. Uh, as we're getting some uh, beer into our glasses. I'm excited to be talking about this next film with you guys because, well, it's one that you know I had seen shortly after it came out. I didn't see this in the theater. I can't remember what kept me from going to because I was it was it was right around the time that I was having my cinematic awakening in college mm. and and being interested in certain filmmakers. And I had seen Casino in the theater. I did not see Kundun in the theater though that was was um so for those in the know you probably already realize what i'm going to be talking about here is the 1999 film directed by martin scorsese written by paul schrader there's Mm -hmm. a dynamic duo folks the guys who brought us taxi driver raging bull the last temptation of christ um 
getting back together after a period where they hadn't worked together for some years um, and, and apparently had had some pretty strong disagreements that it, that had kind of pulled them apart, but decided to get back together to work on this adaptation of a novel by Joe Connolly, first time novel writer um, who had spent years, almost a decade, working as a paramedic in New York City and sort of created this novel out of his experiences there with this uh, lead character, Frank Pierce, who in the film version, the adaptation they did called Bringing Out the Dead, same title as the novel, is uh, played by Nicolas Cage. Mm. Okay, and so what we have in this film is essentially three days, three nights primarily, in the life of this, uh, this paramedic, Frank Pierce, as he's driving around New York City um, in his uh, ambulance with a different partner each evening, right? We, we yeah. start out with uh, his, his partner, Larry, played by John Goodman. Seemingly um, his, like, normal partner at this point. In, they in seem like they have a long-term yeah. relationship, but then uh, Larry... calls in sick. Yes, <laughs> Larry calls in sick. Um, and he, he has Marcus, who's played by Ving Rhames, um, just, just a few years after Pulp Fiction here, so Ving's kind of riding high on that. And, uh, and then the third night... Tom Sizemore, may he rest in peace, with, with one of his better performances, yeah. I think. Uh, it, you know, here I am put, putting my cards right out on the table. Um, I mean, I, yeah, how much, uh, how much real acting he had to, <laughs> right, had to, to be that on him. You know, no, you're right, you're right. There's some question but, there, but he's not a drug-addled guy, supposedly. supposedly he's just no, psychotic. Yeah, he's just psychotic, yeah. <laughs> uh, and not important. Right. Why? Um, well, yeah, I mean, he is good. In so, you, but we get the three nights. We get these different partners. And all kind of linked together by Frank really being kind of at the end of his rope in terms of he's not getting sleep. He's plagued by the people he hasn't saved, especially Rose, this this uh, young woman who he attempted to resuscitate but was unable to, who passed away, who he's kind of seeing her ghostly presence everywhere they go. Um, but as the film kicks off, he does actually have a kind of miraculous moment where he brings somebody back to life almost. Um, and, and that person has a daughter played by Patricia Arquette who becomes mm. kind of a, I, I almost think like it goes beyond romance, what's going on there. There becomes like kind of a spiritual uh, totem for him. And, well, it's and like two people that important. are there for one another in a very yeah. specific time where they need another person there for them. And, you know, let, let's not forget, this is during the period that they were married, right? Arquette and uh, Cage were in one of his longer term marriages. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, this was, they, they were married, I can't remember, mid-90s. And so mm. this is 99 and they remained married married for another couple years after that so yeah they were kind of in those years of i would hope marital bliss maybe oh, yeah. in, in when they were having that so yeah there you go uh i was glad that you picked this movie because i saw it probably 10 years ago uh, and remember being like wildly underwhelmed by it uh and i think looking back on it now uh some of that i might have been kind of put off by the uh some of those fast motion scenes uh, that I, I don't think I really loved at the time. But you're right. Tom Sizemore is really good in this. Nick Cage is fantastic in that. We'll, I'm sure, talk in more detail about him. Always love John Goodman. But fucking Ving Rhames <laughs> smashes it in the portion that he's on screen. He's so, so good. He uh, is good. And then 
uh, fucking Queen Latifah coming through the radio. Yeah, that's who that was, right? It I didn't look was. it up, but as soon as I heard her voice, I was like, oh, that's absolutely. And Scorsese was the male dispatcher. So oh, we, really? We, throughout the film, we're getting either a male or a female yeah. dispatcher. When it's the female, it's Queen Latifah, and Marcus kind of has this you know in his mind at least yeah. this relationship with, with her with some romantic undertones um but but when we hear the male it's actually scorsese oh, that's so, crazy. yeah yeah we also see a young michael williams and michael K. In williams, there, yeah. like for a very brief scene and uh Asun jason uh, as well plays a Kamita, i think or, or, or kanita something like that yeah um, uh so the, there's some wire connection there's some there, wire yeah. Yeah. same universe yeah and i think you can see john munch in the background somewhere yeah. <laughs> but, uh no that those two were cool to to see in it. The yeah. whole Oasis bit was interesting, but um, but yeah, this is. I think another reason I might not have liked it as much the first time coming through, and what I noticed about it this time is that it is like an unrelentingly bleak. Oh film. yeah, in a way, well, in a way that like I. I'm not accustomed to seeing, especially with just wait for what we're going to talk about. Next. Well, what yeah, but, but, but specifically where I was yeah. going in, uh, why it differs from what you just mentioned is that specifically involving New York city. Yeah. Like I feel like 99 times out of a hundred, when you see a movie set in New York, even though there are like, you know, those dark corners in the underbelly of the city, mm-hmm. You still have the glitz and the glam and the skyline, or the like, beauty of Central Park, or the, yeah, or the, stuff like yeah, that. Like the, there is still some of the west, yeah, upper exactly. West side, yeah, you still have some of those like um, more like American Dream esque like visions of the Wo- city. Woody Allen's vision of New York, uh, sure, or yeah. or Hitches, the superior yeah. rom com okay. uh, to Andy Hall. Yeah. But uh, I'm wearing a Hitch shirt for all of those <laughs> listening at home. Um, but you don't get any of that. Like they don't. No, I mean, no. There, I guess there's like maybe a moment or two that if you really, really, really had your rosiest colored glasses on, could be interpreted as, I think at best moments of reprieve. I don't know if you could say there's any joy in this movie at all. Yeah, but you know, I think when I was younger and saw it, and that just kind of was like, oh fuck, man, this is like kind of hard to watch. But then like thinking about it now and more through like the seeing it as like a Nick Cage like vehicle. Uh, what we're seeing is his interpretation of the city. It's not like an, I don't think it's meant to be like a literal depiction of New York. It's like, this is what this guy at the end of his rope, depressed, like just ready to like, you know, crawl up in a ball and die kind of not that far. But in in that sense, very similar to taxi driver, the, the other like sort of big, um, night in New York film from well other than I guess After Hours also kind of fits that but that wasn't Schrader and Scorsese, Scorsese. Yeah, that it's was a completely Scorsese. different tone it, that is it's a very different tone but but Taxi Driver in this I think actually shares some stuff in common there in terms of like the the lead character their subjectivity being very important to how we're seeing the city right it's like, like framed through Travis Bickle it, it's it's his vision of of New York that we're seeing in Taxi Driver here. I think Frank Pierce. Yes, you're right. That this yeah. is Frank Pierce's vision of New York City at this point in his life, where he feels that this profession, this that he's chosen or that he's in, that he's failing, and 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 he feels this guilt. I mean, there's something very Catholic about this film too. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the point of the film is that being a paramedic who has to go on these types of calls all night every night of your job in New York City 
is bleak and depressing and is going to send you to places that are dark. Point well made. I mean, that's what the film is all about. Uh, Frank, the John Goodman partner, can... No, Larry is... Thank you. Yeah, Frank is... Frank Frank is is the lead. Larry, thank you, is the... I think the guy who has the sense of humor about it that's keeping himself... He has the appetite about it. It's uh, all uh, about, like, are we going to get the, the... Oh, wait, I already had the beef lo mein. Yeah, I got to have... The, right. <laughs> he's, he's just focusing on where his next meal is. Yeah. Uh, and then by the end of our journey, the Tom Sizemore character, we're seeing exactly where one could go yeah. if they're doing this kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. I mean, it takes a strong mental ability to see that kind of death, despair, drug addicts that you yeah. get to know because they're, you're constantly having to go on calls for these same cast of characters. Mr. O. Uh, I think that Scorsese and Schrader do a good thing here in trying to bring in the the female character as a point of hope or a point of something I can work toward that is might be good in my life. Yeah. Um, but I, I think ultimately I remember seeing it being underwhelmed for a Scorsese vehicle I think I'm still a little bit underwhelmed. I wouldn't call this one of his major works by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. I think he relies too much on tricks, the speeded up, sped up uh, uh, frame rates, the um, uh, fast fast pa- uh, zooms into you know the eyes and then things like that. You just, you see, he's he's playing his tricks too much on his sleeve here for my taste. You can see them, and when you can see them, they're a little bit less effective. There's a moment later on in the movie where I guess like Frank's really starting to just kind of get go over the edge where like the snow is falling backwards, mm-hmm. Ugh, which they filmed it. apparently like doing all the action backwards. That's what I so that they could show it, you know, they could show Tricks. the film backwards and it would seem like, like the characters were moving in forward in motion. motion. Yeah. But then yeah, the snow so is fun. going upwards. Oh, yeah. I, I I thought because of the time period, I was like they had to have done that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But no, it's not sure. CGI. That uh, was that was in camera. That's crazy. It's so it looks so cool. Yeah. I love I yeah. love that part. I but, I I don't know. I I I'm I'm I, gonna dissent from this uh, opinion that you've put forth, Joe. I I think this is a film that has grown for me like I I said I didn't see it in the theater at the time but I did see it on I think it was one of those first films I probably rented on DVD like early in the DVD era Um, these menus are incredible yeah right (laughs) and I remember being underwhelmed at the time I remember thinking oh this isn't Goodfellas. This isn't, uh, you know, Raging Bull. Yeah, people this are isn't... appropriately cast for their age in this movie. <laughs> You're right. It's not Goodfellas. <laughs> but whatever the case, you know, like it didn't feel like as punchy as, right. as those films in some way. I mean, literally with Raging Bull, punchy, I guess. But watching it now I'm like this is actually it didn't have a, De Niro is what you're saying <laughs> it didn't have De Niro right um, th- this is actually a, a much better film than I had given it credit for early on I mean I think I would have put this in like y- you know if we're on that uh, we don't have a scale on, on beer in a movie but if you know we had like a whatever out of 10 I'd put this at like maybe a 6 or a 7 I think ba- back then like generously maybe a 7 I think watching it this time I'm closer to an eight or a nine on this. I think oh. this is solid filmmaking. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's a peek into an aspect of our contemporary lives that we don't often see. Like, what is the toll on those people who are literally, not even just the people who are like working with patients once they get to the hospital and once they like have sort of maybe a long-term prognosis and they're, but yeah. like the people who respond in the moment 
where to it's like always a, crisis. The you most are, terrible stuff. Exactly, yeah. right? Like something mysterious. This person has just fallen and no longer is breathing. What do we do? Like yeah. th- this person is like, you know, raving mad in the street. What do we do? And this woman is pregnant and like nobody will admit it. Yeah. Until oh there, my God. Until there yeah. are feet. <laughs> yeah. It can't happen again. It is. It's right and here. A, there are yeah. feet coming out. I know. It's so, you know, to me, this as a sort of, peek into the psychic toll of this profession a very essential one in in our you know in our lives that we take for granted i think it's a really kind of amazing film now i think it is absolutely bleak as all get out and i think we do get this kind of like weird sort of asterisk ray of hope there with him finding some solace with mary and him coming to some kind of uh, peace with himself, right? Because, I mean, as I said in the, the synopsis, he's plagued throughout the film by this idea that he hasn't been able to save these people, right? That he hasn't, yeah. he's been a failure. And and so this is, and that's got to plague so many people in the healthcare profession. I, can't, I mean, on he, some level. He tries to pick the, the calls that they go on yeah. based upon his probability that he can save right. the life once right. he gets there because mm-hmm. he's so tired of... But, so much but then death. I think when he, you know, again, at, at the beginning of the film, he has this mir- miraculous back to life moment for, uh, the, you know, uh, Mary, the Patricia Ar- Arquette character's father. Mr. Burke. Mr. Burke. <laughs> and he develops like a, whether it's real or not, kind of relationship. <laughs> An imagined relationship where Burke is speaking to him telepathically, yeah. you know, supposedly. But when he's finally able to let Burke go and kind of understand that. It's not always about saving a person's life. It's maybe bringing them comforts about like, but your your win loss ratio in that job can't be about you're saving people because people die. Death is a fact. Yeah, and you can't be in potentially this, the only fact. Yeah, you can't be in this world and be relying upon constantly saving people. It's just not going to work. And he seems to find some kind of peace with that, and yet you get to see the toll it takes on him. I think this is actually a pretty profound and and dark but deep movie that I that I really liked a lot more the second viewing or third view. This probably yeah, I liked time. it more the second time, but I, I didn't go to the heights that you did. I also liked it much more the second time. It I it is now a movie that I would recommend, whereas before I think I might have put it in more of like a you know, but now I'm like, no, that's a that's a good movie that you should see. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it especially works because it's uh, like rooted in, um, I think what the, uh, there are tricks and things like that. And I, which I think work to a certain degree, like the, I don't know, kind of delirium that it, uh, a Nick Cage character, like, like character or person would have to feel in this profession at a certain point, yeah. working only nights for however many years. It would, I feel like you might see things that way with all the lights blurred and everything's kind of, you're just going through it and you know, whatever. But, um, but I think it's really just rooted in like really great performances. Like everybody that comes on screen in this movie for a significant amount of time, uh, is so even even the fucking uh, security guard guy is just like don't make me take off my sunglasses Chris, every time. Chris, Chris is yeah, so good. That is a great character. Chris is so good. Right. And then I think also like this movie is slightly like, I mean not like ahead of its time because everybody knew, but it's like I think more uh, more common knowledge now, and there's less like kind of 
I don't know, delusion around how fucked up the American healthcare system is uh, now than there was 24 years ago because you have that uh, intake nurse who's just like, why should I help you? You know, and like, it's literally like kind of making people like plead their case to healthcare. (laughs) Like, it's really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Well, it, but it also like just how undersourced they, under resourced they are and how jaded you have to get in that. And it's like, look, I can't do everything for everybody who needs it here. So like, how am I going to choose? What are you, know, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, You've you've done this to yourself for the sixth time this month. Like, you know, I also, shouts out Nestor Serrano, the guy who plays the doctor. Yeah. I like that guy. He used to be in a lot of stuff. Yeah. I always really enjoyed him on screen. No, you're right. It was nice to yeah. see him. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of great little supporting. You've, you've mentioned a few of them already. Mark and, Anthony. Uh, Aida Totoro, who people yeah. probably recognize from The Sopranos. Uh-huh. You know, Tony's sister, sister in real life to John Totoro. Um, I, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you know, there's just some great... You're right. It, like, I think the cast here alone is worth the price of admission. You're not going to be disappointed. Even if you don't think the film fires on all cylinders and is maybe closer to what Joe is saying that you're going to like the performances in a lot of the cases and you're going to pull some things there. Also, we mentioned the score last time. I think the score here is great and the soundtrack classic Scorsese stacked soundtrack with all the great pop music cues. Oh, I mean, you got Sinatra, you got the who you got, the Mark, melodians when Mark they go. Anthony, who's who's in the who's film, in, who's who's good in the movie. He I is feel really like good, somebody, almost unrecognizable. Yeah, I think. You yeah, know. not somebody that I think you know. When you think of like singers turned actors yeah. that really like had much of a career, right. I know he's in some stuff, but he's like pretty, especially for you know. You got to think 1999. Yeah. He's like at the peak of probably his career, and like that's probably a peak for like Spanish artists. Or a crossing Latin, over a, a Latin that, artist yeah. crossing over in general because you've got you got Ricky, Ricky Martin, Martin up there too yeah. and they were both kind of like at their peaks presenting as these very suave handsome like well groomed oh, yeah. and put together men and then here he shows up in this movie dreadlocks absolutely out of control yeah. like insane yeah. and he's and he sells it pretty well especially that scene where he's like covered in blood with the bottle at his neck like that's a pretty harrowing yeah like moment and then he just like sprays the blood from his that's in his hair oh. all over uh nicholas cage uh a rogue beer has entered the chat i know i, I just heard uh, a, a heard bottle cap um, being, yeah i uh, just opened up this saint arnold tarnation which is a uh, unreasonably strong ale, they say. Well, this is oh, a that's 9. just what we need, something zero. <laughs> so we just went up to 8.0. And when we get done talking about bringing up the dead, we'll discuss both of these. And I'll, I'm going to go ahead and pour right. it for myself. One of thirsty, my, thirsty tonight. One of my favorite uh, needle drops in this movie is when you get to the Oasis, mm-hmm. it's, it's Rivers of Babylon mm-hmm. playing, which, like, what a great song to, like... The Melodians. Reference, like, being like at peace yeah. you know what I mean because that is a very like you get some soothing a couple clash songs in there that's another one I was going to say is when Janie Jones hits and they're rushing out on a call it's like it's really dope because it's hectic and yeah. like they're out on a call and that's a very like energetic song but then when I'm so bored in the USA plays it still maintains that but then you're listening to the lyrics and you're thinking about the mental state that Nick Cage is in at that Mm -hmm. time and it just works on multiple levels at that point Uh, so I I really enjoyed the uh, 
the uh, the needle drops, and I thought the I thought the Elmer Bernstein stuff was pretty good. And there is, there is one I can't remember the song now that I'm thinking about it, or now that I'm trying to talk about it. But there's a song where the soundtrack and the score kind of like seamlessly transition. Oh. There's like a song playing, and then and then Elmer Bernstein starts playing or starts this piece that's kind of composed clearly around it. So there had to have been some foresight there uh, between the, the the two, and then it transitions strictly into. Elmer Bernstein score. Right. Um, it was good. Yeah. It, uh, and I'm not really like a, I'm not a uh, Scorsese stan either. Like I'm, I don't worship at the altar of him. Uh, and I'm, I'm, some might say eager to dislike one of his movies just because of the kind of, I don't I think, think, it, I don't think it's going to be killers of the flower moon because I'm hearing great stuff about that. I'm, I'm, I mean, look, I've seen everything he's done since I, that has like come out in theaters since I've been old right. enough to know who he was. Yeah. Like even, you know, saw shutter Island like yeah. probably in the first week, <laughs> which, which at the time I was like, Whoa. Cause I was like, fucking 15 or on any dumbass but, now that's one uh, i have not rewatched since yeah, I, I have not either it's not very good uh <laughs> but i'm dying to rewatch wolf of wall street which i've only seen once there's no need that's uh, the only the only thing i want to see i don't know the only rewatch of that i want to see is just a super cut of all of jonah hill <laughs> in it because i think he's the best part of that movie yeah. him yeah. and him and um Fucking John Bernthal. Oh, well, McConaughey scene's pretty good. It's okay. I like the McConaughey. It's just like scene. it's just like it's almost a it's like a meme. Oh sure, but you it's know? but it's a hot one. It's like <laughs> it, I mean, it, <laughs> uh, but whereas I think Bernthal and Hill are giving like really good, you know, fairly earnest performances in a way that I like much more than uh, the kind of. Well, all right. Those are are rookie numbers, you know, like McConaughey or whatever. Uh, I think the screaming of Leonardo DiCaprio. uh, Flower Moon will be, will do that week of, so um, in the future. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just premiered at Cannes. Yeah. I I think, you know, it's interesting for me. I'm, I guess I have to probably cop to being a Scorsese stan, Mm -hmm. even though I'm not. Like, I, I don't think I'm. There are films of his that I'm not as jazzed about, but more often than not, if I watch them a second time, I do find more to like about them. Is the thing that that's the the reality is he's not he's never an unthoughtful filmmaker. No, I think is is the thing. Like, and you can make you can have problems with the decisions he makes. You can have. Uh, criticisms of the the sorts of approaches that he takes to to whatever the material is, but almost always there's a reason there that you you can understand why he would select to do that. And I love that he chose to work with Cage on this project. I think that Cage was the right casting for you know like putting a De Niro in the ambulance. No, that that's not going to work. Putting even no. DiCaprio. DiCaprio wouldn't have quite been ready here, I guess. This would have been just after. He'd have been too the, young, yeah. But even now, weapon. I don't think he's that kind of presence. I don't, I don't no. see him doing that. This was a Cage role, and I think Cage did it as well as anybody could have done it. I can't imagine any and, other actor yeah. having done this better. And four years after his Oscar, he's still playing it somewhat muted, even though the the, the material itself is very, very dark. He yeah. isn't Vampire's Kiss really at all in this, except yeah. when there's a couple times he's having the sight like almost like a psychotic episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As he his character would have, you right, know? right, yeah. and it, and it works like those moments where he gets kind of big. 
yeah, work in the context. Yeah, it's it's yeah. You know, that's a maybe he's swinging for the fence. You could say he's swinging for the fences in that one, but he like hits a home run. You know, yeah. there's no like okay, miss, you can miss the movies better than I said. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> What, what that's I, what happens when you go into the cage. Is you that's find what happens yeah. when you go yeah. to the cage. I will you get, say, you get pummeled into submission. <laughs> I I said that I had seen all of uh, Scorsese's movies uh, in since theaters, you were aware. Since yeah. I was aware, but I didn't see Silence or, I didn't, I didn't or you know, but or that one, Hugo. I'm not. I, a big, I think to, uh, to your. Person. I did see Hugo. I think to your credit and my credit, I don't think Silence Silence played on screens here when it was first mm, out. I, I, I don't think it did a theatrical. Was that thing the weird yet. Andrew Garfield one, right? And uh, Driver. Adam Driver. Yeah. 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 Fucking Driver. Uh, and, and the Irishman, which we did review on the show, on hated. Here. Yeah. We we did not. I think all three of us were a little. Thought it was a little. Unnecessary, yeah. a little bit too much. I, I think, as per usual, Running I, was, time. I was maybe the most positive, but I even had my problems yeah. with it. Yeah. Well, do you have any problems with a couple of beers? I opened up this rogue <laughs> beer a little late in the segment. Might, sure. might have, maybe ten minutes earlier, we could have had a little bit more of it to, to give it a fair. Well, shake, before I forget, because I just took my last sip do it. of the oh. other half, Otherly Love, yeah, brewed out of their Philadelphia facility. Uh huh. Um, it's it to me. So other half, I think the bad rap they tend to get is that sometimes they can go so crazy with the hops and get their beers out a little green. They're a little like too robust in the hops and a little too sort of punchy there. This maybe because I don't know, it doesn't have a can date on it. It does not. Um, but, but either it's mellowed enough or they dialed it in enough. I think this was a beautifully balanced I, uh, double IPA. Found it very drinkable. A pretty perfect execution for... Uh... Yeah. Double hazing. No, it's just two IPAs in a row that I would love to get my hands on more. It's bringing soft. me back to the IPAs, and I'm the Pilsner guy <laughs> yeah, these days. I mean, Come on. I'm like, I want to I want to drink more of these IPAs. And then you Triples, may, doubles. You <laughs> may have heard the bottle hiss. That was that uh, St. Arnold Tarnation Rogue beer that we threw up. This Easy partner. This ain't no run-of-the-mill ale you're holding in your hand. Matter of fact, see, I'm reading it to the vernacular that they wrote the text. This here bottle just so happens to contain the most rootin' tootin' strong ale this side of the Guadalupe. That's a river in Texas, y'all. It's rich, it's malty, and it's doggone tasty if we do say so ourselves. Yep, this one's so good, you'll be asking yourself, what in tarnation? (laughs) Are you asking yourself that? Uh, No, because I know what in tarnation it is, and it's a pretty good strong ale. It is. uh, It's it's got a nice... um... The, the maltiness is balanced. It's not hitting you over the head, but it's got like nice little kind of caramel, like sweet yeah. sweetness notes in there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Lots of caramel. I'm digging it. Yeah, yeah, from aroma to flavor, this one is great. When St. So Arnold does it right, they do it right. Oh, mm-hmm. St. Arnold, and they rarely do it wrong. Eh, I've had a couple, but... It's when they try to do the trendy stuff. I was and, and I feel like some of those Bishop's Barrels where they like get into like, you know, aging something in like a... You know, like red wine barrel, mm, blah blah blah. Yeah. Like I think sometimes, like I, I feel like I had one that was like a gin barrel. Mm. Age I had one that was thing. a Chardonnay barrel age thing that was kind yeah, of interesting. That, that, yeah. I, I don't know Th- those points don't always, for trying, but yeah. But generally, I think they hit the mark, and this one definitely hits the mark. Yeah, I so, like I like seeing yeah. their art car IPA on tap at a bar that doesn't have any other craft. That sometimes that's the one that you'll find on oh, yeah. the market, and that's the one I'll grab. Tarnation by. St. Arnold is a hit, other half a hit, and two out of three say this is a hit, bringing yeah. out the dead. Well, two and a half. You're coming okay. around. You're, you're right. You came you're around. around. <laughs> you're right. You're yeah. right. 
One more beer, and I might just say this is the best film of the night. But so far, <laughs> if I had to choose between watching Bringing Out the Dead Again or Drive Angry Again, I'm leaning Drive Angry. And I'd, I don't, and I don't I'd, fault you for that. I'd and, probably agree. Yeah. And I was going to say, especially if it's in the context of like a party going on, oh, Drive yeah. Angry is Drive a party angry. movie. That's a party movie. Uh, You've never seen Drive Angry? I can, uh, I can say bringing now. Bringing Out the Dead yeah. might work in certain moments as a party movie, but would mostly bring the mood yeah. down. And mostly bring the mood down. <laughs> well, speaking of, one more Nicolas Cage when we come back, and uh, that's from 1995, and I bet you've already figured out what it is, and we'll talk about it after the break. matches are just unlike any other thing we do buckle the and fuck up i'm so glad that we established this as a tradition back was it episode 100 yeah. that we first did it yeah um you know and it really it, it born out of a concept that carlos already had so we kind of like stole another podcast and folded it into this podcast mm-hmm. i'm glad we did yeah um so there's nowhere to go but up and i'm talking about abv and so we're going to go another. We started so light. Another Daniel Benavides offering for the evening. Thanks. This has been an all Daniel episode, by yeah, the way. And, and we're we're going to have to start calling the these Daniel's Cage Match or something. Yeah. I don't know. Sponsored by. Yeah. <laughs> this is Weathered Souls, and you know we love our Weathered Souls, right? They are out of San Antonio. Right. And this is their nearest of kin, 1528, Weathered Souls and. I can't read that. I need glasses all the time now. Yeah, look at that small print. I, I, see, the problem with glasses is I get, reading glasses. Weathered Souls and Brockton Beer Company. Fantastic. And yeah. no, Brockton, we have not had. Weathered Souls, we've had several times. And uh, go ahead, David, take over for well, me. Because there's the other small print. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let our listeners know this is a barrel aged imperial stout, thirteen and a half percent. Oh, Woo. all right. Aged in Uncle Nearest barrels. I'm assuming that's a bourbon. Daniel's a big bourbon guy. Yeah, he is. Um, conditioned on vanilla and dead stock coffee. Hecho Amano. What was the name of the bourbon? Let me. I'm going to look it up. Uh, nearest Barrels, which I'm assuming is the reason for calling this Nearest of Kin um, in there. So the, and, and I'll read this other small... About nearest of kin is full of subtle notes of vanilla, coffee, and oak from aging in Uncle Nearest's barrels and being conditioned on vanilla and dead stock coffee. This has allowed the beer to develop a wonderful complexity and finish with a rich, smooth mouthfeel. Oh, God. So snobby. Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, Hunter Proof. Uh, very popular whiskey. Woo! Uh, so let's open this thing up and talk about our next one. Please. Uh, Carlos, you you picked our uh, final film for the uh, episode. This is a statement of fact. Uh, well, you know, David, we kind of picked this movie mm. because uh, you were in the shop one day and we were talking about the upcoming cage match, and we both were at the time, unbeknownst to one another, oh, look at that uh, leaning towards picking the same movie right and right. and so when you told me you were leaning towards this i was like okay well i i kind of was as well as it turns out and uh you were like okay what 
why don't you throw your hat in the ring as this one and I'll pick another one. And so I was like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm in. And it's Leaving Las Vegas, Nicolas Cage's Oscar-winning performance, um, 1995. It was nominated for a lot of different things. Uh, I believe this is its only win, directed by Mike Figgis, mm-hmm. who um, has some other interesting credits to his name when I looked at his IMDb. Yeah. Uh, there was one in particular... Uh, Time Code's a really interesting film if you've never seen that. I have not seen Time Code. Um, What was it? (laughs) Anyway, neither here nor there. But he also uh, wrote it, uh, or adapted it, I should say. Mike Figgis did, and did the music, uh, and I believe is a producer on it as well. But So you've got Nicolas Cage playing an alcoholic, uh, now-failing screenwriter, Ben Sanderson, uh, who decides after receiving a um, fairly generous severance check from the uh, production company he worked for, uh, decides he's going to go to Las Vegas and drink himself to death where he runs into Sarah, uh, S-E-R-A, played by Elizabeth Shue, uh, who is a, um, a sex worker on the strip, and they find this weird kind of solace in one another, and it's... That's all I can say without spoilers, question mark. But there's, you know, um, a Richard Lewis and Stephen Weber show up in there at some point. Um, a Valeria Galino, who I love in Hot Shots, uh, yeah. is in there. Um, a very young Mariska Hargitay, French Stewart, Ed Lauer. Laurie Metcalf. Uh, Laurie Metcalf shows up in there as well. Um, so a lot of, even though it's really just about these two people, you you get these little pop-ins from uh, Julian Lennon. Ju- shows Julian up. Lennon. You get these little pop-ins from other people um, that you may Julian recognize. Sands. It's fun. Yeah, Julian Sands as well. But oh, I, Julian, Julian Lennon, Lennon is one okay. of the bartenders. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Julian yeah. Sands is Yuri. The also yeah, the you have Dan, Danny Houston, the who, who's gone on to be an actor and is I mean he he's had many other roles, but he's you know John Houston's and Angelica Houston's family. Yeah. you know that's so that. There's a lot of little uh, sort of Easter egg uh, appearances in there. You even get Bob Rafelson shows up in the mall scene, who uh, you know five easy pieces and all. Uh, yeah, can can we take one minute to snobbery this beer and just put your nose in here and smell it? Because before you even take a sip, it's what do they say? Coffee and vanilla. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. It is like rich. so much. Just the, it's one that like on the inhale. Just on the nose, I feel like the mo- the mouth feel is present in my nostrils. What do we call that? The nose feel? I don't yes. know. Like there's a density to the vapor yeah. that's I've, entering my nostrils. I've got a story about mouth feel for after hours. Patreon.com slash beer movie podcast. Five dollars a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. Well done. Yeah, you should well not done. sleep on that. It's one of the best things we yeah. do. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. This after is hours. and it's so thick. We say pour like motor oil pours like motor oil. I don't want to over clings to the glass. That. It's so thick and I can't wait to drink this. Oh my god, Dan. Daniel, what a beautiful man you are for giving us these wonderful beers. Have to figure out some way to. He get gave you me s- my first um, uh, fucking uh, live oak hefeweizen recently. Oh, he gave us two of them to drop it the off show. at the shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. those come, coming soon. He okay. Uh, well, he gave me a bag of beers, yeah. some other stuff that I'll leave for after hours, or that I'll, uh, at least one other story I'll tell in after hours. But uh, there was one can of the live oak hefeweizen, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And he was like, "Don't share it." 
And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a no share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just enjoy. It, it. it comes with rules. Yeah, I was like, okay, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, leaving Las Vegas. So I mean, this is my first time seeing this movie. By the way, that can't be it's true. Really? It is. That can't wow. be it, true. It, it can be, and it is because it's always the one of the reasons that I haven't watched it over the last several years is because I was like, I know we're going to do it in a cage match at some point. Okay. And save so by it, the time it. we were doing the cage matches, I was like, okay, well, I can't. I don't want to watch it for the first time and it not be for the purpose of discussing it here at, okay. around this table. Okay. But before Commitment. that, it was just that that early, I guess, late '80s to like the mid '90s era of Cage was like I've never, I still haven't seen Moonstruck. I tried watching it today, oh. uh, but it's not streaming anywhere except for like Tubi oh, or something on like that. Max but, um, or HBO Max. It's a little not while anymore. Ago. Um, Vampire's Kiss we did on the show yeah. um, but some of that early- Valley Girl we, we did on the show yeah that's yeah. even I mean that's, that's like early 80s, 80s. Yeah, 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 yeah that's early 80s um, but yeah up until like from like Vampire's Kiss or I guess Moonstruck because that's 87 so from 87 through like 96 when The Rock comes out I hadn't seen really any of that wow. stuff in there because I saw The Rock. I've seen Eight Millimeter. I've seen Face Off. Uh, you know, Conair. I've seen Con Air. I've yeah. seen Gone in sixty seconds. Like I've seen a lot of that era of Cage, right. in large part because a lot of it was on like cable when I was a kid. Yeah, it was the age. Um, age. But you just but the stuff age. before that I never seen, and I'm glad that I never saw this movie before that because this is a harrowing picture. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it is bleaker than bleak i mean we talked about bringing out the dead being pretty dark i mean this is this is the posthumous leonard Cohen album so you want it darker yeah <laughs> you know yes. like with, yeah. when we thought we were taking it dark with the first movie this is the one where it's just like oh you don't know yeah what depressing filmmaking is until we get to this one but it is like i don't know it's so interesting his performance in it incredible very oscar worthy um but I and you know you hear him talk about it and you hear him talk about uh, studying Chris Christopherson in A Star Is Born, studying um, the guy that played Arthur in Arthur. Oh, Dudley uh, Moore. Dudley yeah. Moore. Yeah. Um, him looking at these like kind of famous. There's one that's drunk earlier. performance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's one. The Days even, of Wine and Roses. Jack Lemmon. Yes, yeah. that one. And then there's a fourth one that's even earlier than Lemon that I really have no point of reference for. But he talks about you know kind of taking a little bit from each one of those. But for me. And all of, you know, and there's still obviously so many movies I haven't seen, but in all the movies that I've watched over doing this podcast, over being in school, like watching movies and stuff like that, I've never to this day seen such a brutal depiction of alcoholism it's in done, a film. It's done so well. There's no hamminess to it. And no. I imagine if you're walking into this, having seen A Vampire's Kiss and, uh, you know, that you're Drive like, angry. oh, it's, it's going to be, <laughs> if you've seen Drive Angry. It's Nicolas Cage doing an alcoholism thing. It's gonna be over the top, and it, it, some of it is, but it's it's done so well. It, it it you believe the relationship he has with alcohol. I mean, he looks like shit in between all the, movie. the conversation he has with the bartender when he's hit, trying to hit up hit up that girl, and she he's just the girl from Hot Shots. Yeah, so fucked yeah. up. Uh, and the bartender has to step in. The next day, he goes to get gin and tonics. Do you know what time it is? Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the bartender does his best to have a conversation, but when when he sees that his customer is not going to be participating in the conversation, I don't give a fuck what you do. This one's on the house. I mean, there's so yeah. much fantastic... Uh, it's, 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 it's the best depiction of alcoholism that I can <sighs> remember seeing on screen. It's a... I don't know. It's it's hard when you get into bed. Like, it's a challenge, I, David. I, I hear what you're saying. No, but, What's it, better? But this is a... This is a 
<laughs> this is a very specific. It's it's a very um, it's a very deliberate alcoholism, right? I mean, this is a character Certainly. Ben Sanderson who is. I mean, he states very clearly, "I am drinking myself to death." There's, I've got nothing else to live for, so let me to go out the way it, I want to. Exactly, he is committing suicide by alcoholism, which is yeah. not what most people use alcoholism. But you know, a, yeah. a lot a lot of people who who you know, at least based on my experience, who slide into alcoholism it's a crutch it's something they're using to kind of stable and, and they're potentially functioning with it sometimes right i mean right. but but i'm just saying like my experience has not been people deliberately choosing i'm going to do this though apparently um you know the, the uh john o'brien who wrote the novel that this is based on which was a sort of roughly autobiographical novel of, of his own experience like he was somebody i mean he i don't know if you guys read about this but he, he died he died just after this was optioned to make the film oh wow um it was the only novel of his that was published while he was still alive he he committed suicide okay shortly after it, it's it's a very specific and and i don't know sort of self-aware kind of alcoholism that i i don't think i've ever seen depicted before or since that you know this is not just an alcoholic who's out of control and the people around him are trying to help this is an alcoholic who is actually totally in control and saying this is how i choose to yeah. finish my life with that famous scene I, of him sorry yeah go ahead getting to vegas and going to the liquor store with a shopping cart and mm -hmm. having a blast buying the, the pills if you will that he's yeah. going to overdose with yeah it, well, it, him packing to move from his hotel room or motel room to uh, the apartment when when he uh, after he meets uh, Sarah, and you know discarding all of his clothes yeah. so that he can keep all of the bottles that have some liquid still in them, right. you know, in in that suitcase. It's it's just such a strange and singular. Um, and, and sort of heightened version of alcoholism in this way that I know exists. I mean, I know there are people who make this kind of choice, but it's so different than what most depictions of alcoholism are because it's mostly about people who are like unwitting, unwittingly taking part in this. Like, I'm not drinking too much. You think I'm drinking too much, but he knows. Yeah. He tells her the conditions about our relationship are going to be you never talk to me about how much I drink. You never right. tell me to stop drinking. You never tell me to stop drinking because right. that's my choice. That's what I'm doing. I, I think the, like, the key to the movie, though, is Elizabeth Shue and her character. The yeah. idea that it's not just him alone in Vegas acting this way. It's that he finds this deep connection with someone who's, I don't want to say equally troubled, but is having a hard life herself. Sure. As much as she wants to present that she is not to her therapist, to... Uh, Herself. Who we never see. No. Yeah. Yeah. To, to herself, I suppose. That I am in control of these sex act uh, uh, liaisons. Yes. But, but then we see one where she clearly is not and gets hurt. And, I mean, it's two people that, I mean, it's, it's not what I would assume anyone would think is an ideal relationship, but they need each other for these reasons that totally make sense for them to try to be together. Well, it's a film about dependency, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and codependency, I think, in, in, a, in a very stark way. And I've, you know, I've glimpsed those kind of relationships before. And I guess I guess at the root of all partnerships, there's some kind of codependency that's there. But there is an unhealthy, this is obviously an unhealthy form of it. Um, but it's, but it's that connection nonetheless. And there's something beautiful about it. This is a relentlessly bleak film, but again like bringing out the dead 
one that finds some kind of ray of hope in that like even in our worst situations you can find somebody to connect with and you can have this kind of experience that I don't think is totally negative like I certainly you know Ben we're not spoiling anything to say Ben dies right I mean he sets out to kill himself his death scene is pretty rough too he kills himself the the death scene is intense yeah big time um, but she lives on mm-hmm. and I don't know that it was a bad thing for her to have had that relationship with him yeah uh, and also I don't mm, I don't know that I read their relationship as codependent elaborate please I think he's dependent on alcohol. I think she's like looking, maybe it's more like codependent from her end, but I think because I think they are both so flawed, him being more so than her, and they're both aware of it, it kind of leads me away from this idea that they're, that they're codependent, that they need each other. Because to me, it reads more as like, here are two people that are fucked up, that look at each other and go, oh, well, you're pretty fucked up too. And yet anyway, still choose to spend time with one another and still choose to invest themselves in one another. Well, and and who can, who can appreciate that each other are still like can accept human being right yeah Yeah. like they're accepted like despite these flaws like we all have flaws and they have some huge ones massive ones but they're able to see the humanity in each other yeah Yeah. but i don't know so that 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 makes me not want to label it as about dependency or between the two of them at least okay because there's clearly some like dependency stuff going on you know what i mean like she obviously stays with this guy i kind of understand where you're coming from i think she needs him in this moment she needs him more than he needs i don't know if she needs him or if she just recognizes that of all the johns that i'm picking up here he's treating me like a person and not just you know right well she sees he's the humanity in and him. and he's like really not interested in no sex. he just wants he, company he, he well they never have sex off. until right they right. do and it's very sad well that's what i'm saying <laughs> i mean she attempts and that yeah um but but i think you know you mentioned the julian sands character she has a pimp when the film begins but uh, or when we first meet the character but that ends right and that's ending well, just as ends. she meets him <laughs> well he ends right yes no he gets in trouble with his you know higher ups in his organized crime organization yeah. and that's the end of him and so i i mean i think cage in some ways you know the ben character comes in as this kind of other you know this new male presence in her life to it's like when you break up with a partner who was like really controlling yeah. and then you get with a partner who like borderline doesn't give a shit about you at all it's like there that overcorrection There's you know that like people that. make in I think you're right you know I, I think mean? you're right <laughs> absolutely uh, I promise I won't I, I think there's I think there's something like that going on there so I think I really do feel like she needs somebody like Ben in that moment to be able to connect with and I, I don't know that Ben feels like he needs that or or I don't know that he needs that to do what he's doing but I think me as a viewer watching this character needs somebody like her to care about him as he's finishing no, this I think mission. he's a charismatic uh-huh. writer and so therefore likes the human connection and she's not bad to look at and they're you know in fact I find her to be one of the most uh, the scene where they go off to a motel 
and she's trying desert. to seduce him. And the way that mm. she chooses to do that is to pour liquor on her naked Which top. he has already narrated that earlier. Like, the, you get the bank scene where he's there cashing the check, and he's, dic- you know, he's, uh, he's dictating into that little micro recorder there, basically like, and, you know. That exact it, scene. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's, like sort of presaging he's thinking ahead yeah. like somehow foreshadowing what this scene is going to be and even though it's deeply troubling it's one of the most erotic scenes that i can think of because she, until it becomes a total clusterfuck and it becomes them getting kicked out but i hear what you're saying but there's the, a moment the, yeah. the, the way they present the nudity and elizabeth shoe i mean she she was the adventures in babysitting for god's sake she's not you know she's not, karate kid you know, karate yeah. kid yeah um, it, it is. I, I that that scene sticks with you. I mean, yeah. for me anyway. Yeah, no. I mean, it is. It is a striking moment in the film, especially because it's the I don't know, kind of like first time that the Nick Cage character Ben becomes sexual in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Really, yeah. I mean, you know, he brings he brings. Mariska Hargitay's character home at one point, yeah. But it doesn't feel that sexual. It feels more of like a boredom thing, or maybe even like a I'm gonna get back at you because you're still going out. Oh, that's definitely a revenge kind of weird, uh, weird revenge. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that I mean, it, and I don't know. There, there's there really is like so much complexity there to their relationship. Like that scene signifying like a big part of it because. Like, that's a big fucking leap for a partner to be like, I I know that you love alcohol more than me or that you right. care about alcohol right. more so than I'm me. So I'm going to so encase I'm, myself. Yeah, in yeah that, so I'm yeah. going to lean into your... Let me sexualize the alcohol. Yeah, I'm going to lean into your most... Kink, whatever. Not even kink, but no. like the like darkest, worst part about you Yeah. to like... Endear myself to you to like, I don't even think it's enticing. I think she's just like genuinely trying to connect with him in the way that she is most comfortable connecting with another person. You know what I mean? Because she she realizes that the way to do that is she's always sexually forward with him. We can fuck anytime you want to, and he's not. No, but but that's but that's her comfort zone as far as like connection goes because that's what she's accustomed to and most familiar with. And I don't know, so. there are dependent things about their relationship, but to just like give it that blanket, that blanket like codependent, like yeah. and just reduce it down to that, because it is one of the more complex and like layered on-screen relationships that I've seen in a while. As a, as a new viewer, did you find the film dated at all? Because it did come out in '95. No, does it, the, does the suits it still are kind of loose. Uh, they, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the fashion, <laughs> but, but, but no. But um, does the film, the content, hold up? Yeah, no, okay. it does. Yeah, I, I thought I mean, so too. I mean, I've been watching a lot of Law and Order SVU lately, so certainly uh, Mariska Hargitay's appearance dates it a little bit. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm in 2014 Detective Benson <laughs> right now, so like uh, that was strike. Cause you know, I, I didn't. She was on that sitcom or whatever. Uh, I can't remember what it was called um, before SVU, but you know, Law and yeah. Order is her big like break or whatever. But um, 
And I recently learned her mom was Jane Mansfield. That's too. right. I didn't know that until like and, and a couple weeks ago. And her dad was uh, Mickey Hargitay, a who was bodybuilder. a bodybuilder, yeah. like a uh, big professional, uh, <laughs> yeah. like a Schwarzenegger before Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, no, I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think that really any of it, any of it is all that dated, um, because people still drink too much, and you know, I think I, I, if please. Do not listen to this Hollywood in a way that s- makes you think this is a good idea. But if somebody was going to like remake this movie now, there's e- you could easily take either one of those characters and put them in a more modernized like content creator, or whether it's like an OnlyFans star or like a you know oh, yeah. like a YouTuber yeah, yeah, yeah. or something no, like that. Is, is... And all of the themes still fit, like the dynamic still plays. I you agree. know what I mean? I agree. Um, so I, I, I think it's a fairly. I think it's a timeless time, story timeless for story, the ages, yeah. <laughs> which is sad. But Tale it, as no, old this as is. Time. I mean, this is one of those films. Lick that, booze off my breath. Th- this is one of those films that gives you. It sounded like you that, said booze, not booze. <laughs> that sorry. That glimpse at part of the human condition that we often try to avert our eyes from. Yeah. You know, let's put it that way. There's no fun exciting graphic kills in this film <laughs> there's no i mean seriously if we're yeah. going to drive you know even bringing out the dead gives us a little bit of that action and the fast motion and the car you yeah. know like not car chases but the ambulance like you know careening through the streets and the big flip over accident it's that, a you dark know. humanity tale this one just it's it's putting you into dark motel rooms and seedy bar rooms and probably and not the best hotels on the strip of vegas no 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 and, the, and in fact like what, what what is it called that and like he switches the sign to like your whole right the whole year the whole year in, in the whole year in the whole year the whole you're in, in, yeah. in is yeah. the switch that it makes there in that like moment. that um you know this is just this is dark this is super dark and this is just giving us that glimpse on like okay yeah this is this is something that people struggle with. This is something, you know, like, and people get there. And we get those little, you know, flashbacks, which I, I think, yeah, okay, are they a little bit cliched? Sure. But I think they work really well. Like, you know, the quick flashes that we get to, like, his wife and child. And, like, even when he's in the casino and he has his, like, moment there and he, and he you know, goes flips nuts and table. flips the table. And he's mm-hmm. saying, like, he was drunk he's my son! You know, like, like, clearly this is, a you know, the the result of a domestic dysfunction that like sort of you know like he he had an attempt at like a happy family life that just went awry and what the reason were what i do respect about this film though is it doesn't try to give us the answers it doesn't try mm-hmm. to say like oh this is where he went wrong mm-hmm. we don't no. know we meet he him even as asked, an alcoholic he even asked at the beginning like was i drinking and lost my wife or, or did, did i, I start drinking after I, yeah, yeah right exactly like, what about when his first? boss pulls him into his office to fire him and he says we're gonna let you go he yeah. just goes yeah okay yeah and you're, and you're giving me too much severance yeah, yeah, yeah that, like that that, that's his response too which, generous which is interesting because he does that in bringing out the dead or his character in bringing out the dead does that too he's like come on and he's like i'll fire you tomorrow i promise yeah. i'll fire you tomorrow just yeah. do this one last shift for me and he's just trying to get fired yeah uh and then quits only to come back the next day but yeah, yeah I, I yeah so this was this was a great movie then when he won the Academy Award that night, I watched the Oscars. I said, I can't argue. And watching it again now, it's uh, it does hold up. So when he flips that table over in the casino, he was drunk for that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. he shot it drunk. And uh, I he, didn't know that. He, cool. said, he said it was a 14-day shoot, which 
in hindsight he looks back on and says thank god because <laughs> it was pretty brutal but there was some uh poet i can't i wish i would have written the name down because there's no way i'm gonna remember that he like hired to hang out with him for the whole show. It wasn't Bukowski, was no, it? No, no. Okay. It wasn't like a big name. Okay. It, was, it was someone whose name I didn't recognize. That's why I didn't retain it. Uh, but this guy was at like Ben's level of drunkenness at the time. Oh, okay. And so like this guy would just be like in the fetal position in his trailer while Nick Cage is playing the bongos, uh, trying to find the rhythm of the character and just like saying crazy stuff. And so like the line where he says... Uh, you don't lean on the bar, you lean into the bar. It's vino verit. It's not vino veritas. It's en vino veritas. Like that's something that that guy said to him okay. while in like a drunken stupor, and so he's like incorporating those things into the role. That's crazy. Um, it's, it's method wild. method by proxy. Well, it, I it's, knew that it's, I knew it's that, immersion therapy, and I knew I that preparing for the film, he had gone binge drinking for at least a few weeks. Really, like. To experience that, and and I think he had people with him to like document it, whether they were videotaping him mm. or like writing things down that he said, yeah. so that he could like go over it and kind of pick some of the things. Because like you said, he looked at other performances, but he also wanted to experience yeah that himself. Yeah. And I, it's what he I did yeah. ride-alongs for bringing out the dead too. Yes, um, although yeah. he said that New York was too clean by the time he was doing the ride-along. <laughs> I heard that during Drive Angry, he spent the entire shoot purposely angry. <laughs> <laughs> no, he In met driving. the devil, he met the accountant. No chauffeurs on Drive Angry, he drove the <laughs> yeah. whole time. He was pissed oh. that he had to drive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. Well, the, the, this was, I mean... This was probably the darkest cage match of them all, right? I mean, in terms of content, we could have we could have done National Treasure, along with Family Man. Uh, that one's kind of yeah. sad. Uh, is he in like a comedy? A lot. We could have done. No, he, he we, has been. We could have done find. National Treasure along with like Willy's Wonderland. And then leaving Las Vegas, and it would still be the darkest. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, leaving Las Vegas brings the darkness quota well, down. Not, so not to correct low. you, because I know that you know this already, Carlos. But we have done. Willis I know, I know. I was just that was the match. funnest, other than. Uh, well, yeah, un unbelievable seconds. weight of massive talent would be another really fun yeah, yeah, one to do. Do yeah, we call true. Moonstruck uh, depressing? No, no, yeah. no. That's I mean, he's a baker like, without a, a hand, right? Yeah, yeah, but he, yeah. <laughs> well, but any, but I do think this one sort of plunges us in, oh, yeah. in purposefully, right? I mean, he 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 won his Oscar for uh, for going into that dark dark place. If you if you had to pick your pick for three hundred. Right now, for three hundred episode three hundred, the next, next cage match when Carlos Gerard will Butler. join us. What would you do? Mine's gonna probably be Bangkok Dangerous, or again oh, one of those from that. You, era. you just really don't want to do Joe, do you? I don't know at this because it's your namesake. No, I don't think that Joe doesn't qualify for what I'm going for. Okay. I don't think Joe is in that yeah. canon of him. It doing... was a straight to video though. Sure, but straight I, to as video I understand, it's one of his finer. You know, it's supposed to be a good movie. Above yeah. average performance. It's David Gordon Green, right? I'd like I to do National so. Treasure. I think we need to explore that I think, territory. I think if I'm picking for 300 right now, I would be picking National Treasure. Oh, interesting. Because we need to do it. Yeah. I love it. Um, I, that's, a good, that's a good selection. I think just because Carlos is saying he's never seen it, I might I might have to go with Moonstruck for, for that. That would be one. a good little yeah. range. Yeah. That would be a good be show. A good range, yeah. All right. We'll I'm going to write these sticks. down. Yeah. See if it sticks. <laughs> one thing that did stick was this beer to the edge of stick the glass. to the roof of my mouth. This is like... Like uh, 
Yeah, they were right about the mouthfeel on this one. Nearest folks. of kin, fifteen twenty-eight. Weather souls, thirteen point something or thirteen even. This one was ABB. thirteen point five. Delicious, delicious, delicious. Yes, thirteen point five. You know, after two really great IPAs, uh, and then of course the strong ale, which was a different bend altogether. I mean, we've really had it all tonight. This one took two or three sips just to get myself there where it wanted me to be. As warm <laughs> as it as it warmed up while we were sitting here and talking, it got better and better and better. I loved this beer. I yeah. thought this beer was incredible. I'm glad the three of us are sharing it. I couldn't drink that bottle by myself. No. Yeah. Good Lord, no. The, this, this would be danger zone material. Danger zone. That's right. If we were drinking this solo. Uh, yeah. Th- this is one of those that you really do want to save for those special occasions when you're looking at some of the best work of a great actor like Nick Cage. Uh, and 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 sort of trying to find something that can match that level of complexity and performance, because that's what this beer is. It's complexity and it's performance. You're getting the coffee notes. <laughs> you're getting is, the vanilla yeah. notes. You're getting the bourbon notes. You're getting, you know, that multi roasty mm. uh, base of the stuff. I mean, it is just mm-hmm. everything you want in that kind of barrel aged imperial mm-hmm. stout from a couple breweries, Weathered Souls and mm-hmm. Brockton. Don't know Brockton as well, no. but obviously they work well together, playing the highest sort of game they can. Yeah, no, David, can great. you take off your shirt and pour the rest of this over your breasts? <laughs> I'd like to lick oh it my off. God. I'm, I'm there. You'd get so much <laughs> chest hair. It's been in that, that kind of <laughs> even be funny. Oh, really? <laughs> It's like that scene in Along Came Polly where the guy uh, is shirtless yeah, yeah, playing yeah. basketball. Playing shirts and skins. You know what I'm talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, Carlos, you want to wrap it up with, because you did the intro. Do you want to do the outro? Can you do it by I, heart? I, no, I, I don't know if I can, but I'll try. Okay, go for it. Uh, the best thing? The best thing about Beer in a Movie is that the conversation continues after the episode has already ended. You can find us on all of your favorite social media platforms uh, on Twitter at Beer Movie, on Instagram uh, at Beer in a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer in a Movie Podcast. Yes. Beer in a Movie TX, Beer in a Movie Podcast.com is the home base. You can find links to our Discord, uh, which you need to be on because there's a lot happening over there. Uh, not just, you know, film and movie talk, but also, you know, various and sundry other things um you can find a link to our patreon patreon.com slash beer movie podcast or for five dollars a month you get a bonus episode every single week and you can find a link to our merch store tbubble.com slash beer in a movie podcast question mark maybe where you can get shirts mugs stickers all sorts of cool stuff over there i actually wore my beer in a movie shirt yesterday only to realize i should have worn it today uh, but you know it's too late for that and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. We know you're going to give us that five-star rating, but please leave a written review to let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. And that really helps to us to manipulate the algorithm to do... Do what it do. And uh, <laughs> get us uh, get more eyeballs on the show, get more, more ear holes on the show, uh, boost that listenership, maybe. And um, this has been another... Um, I don't know... Pretty bleak episode of Beer in a Movie. But Cage filled. But Cage. But Cage. It's been another cagey episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. That's nice talk, Ben. Keep drinking. Between the 101 proof breath and the occasional bits of drool, some interesting words come out. (laughs) 